Blog Talk Radio. On the Naked Talk with Alex Akurji. And yes, you're listening to the Naked Talk, and this is the hub for real, authentic conversations like never before. And yes, my name is Alex Okurji, the Queen of Expression, and I'm coming to you live all the way from Lagos, Nigeria, in the heart of West Africa. And yes, 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 I'm very excited. And as always, I say that expression is a sign of strength and not weakness. And yes, you know, the Naked Talk empowers you with the freedom, basically, to express, you know, your brilliance, your greatness, your power, whatever it is, right? And we bring some of the most amazing, powerful influencers, right, who are willing to come on the show and share some of that amazing right? And they come and share some of that awesomeness. And here on the show, we do not apologize for who we are. We don't apologize for the amazing work we do. We do not apologize for what we feel and how we think. We're all about freedom, right? Right? <laughs> so um, that's what the Naked Talk is about, you know, giving you a gift in ourselves the freedom to lead at the highest level of authentic best. So yay! I'm very excited about today's show, and I've been looking forward to talking to my very, very special guest, who's joining me live all the way from the UK. And um, well, it's going to be a pretty amazing show, and I've been looking forward to just having really, really authentic and stimulating conversations today about, um, you know, a subject that I think is really important. But just before we go into today's uh, show, let's not forget that last week on the Naked Talk um, on on Friday Radio Special, I had the amazing, amazing Yuri Cataldo who joined me live all the way from Boston, USA, and Yuri is an amazing, he's um, inspiring, he's a creative entrepreneur, he's also a speaker, and um, he is as well um, a media strategist, and oh, we talked, we had such a great conversation, Yuri's like, Yuri's like ball of fun, and you know, I really had fun also doing his show, I was an advanced year art podcast, but you know, it was crazy, it was nice having Yuri Shear with us, he's just his entrepreneurial journey, you know, what it is to be, an, you know, a creative, and what it is to really reinvent yourself, and to have that freedom, right, that creative freedom where you feel that you can really be anything and everything you want, and just, you know, him taking us through the journey of having to create the actual best 
alkaline water in the entire world, Indigo H2O, and having his products, you know, at the Oscars and the Golden Globes and, you know, just, you know, what it is to work with amazing, powerful people like Al Pacino and just, you know, just his journey. But at the same time, what it is to deal with having, you know, being at the top of it all and losing it, right? And just the highs and lows and, you know, the, you know, just the um, bumps and grinds of creative entrepreneurs. So that was a really great conversation. And if you missed that conversation with Yuri um, or any conversation with any of my other amazing guests, don't forget that you can always catch the Naked Talk right here. You can catch all the archived shows if you miss it live right here on the radio channel on Block Talk Radio, or you can just go to our official website, www.thenakedtalk.live. Just go to the Naked Talk.live, live because we're live, and catch, you know, all your other amazing conversations, or you can go to any of our radio channels, yes? So you can listen to The Naked Talk. We're also syndicated on Stitcher Radio. You can catch The Naked Talk on TuneIn Radio. You can listen to us on ACAST. You can catch the show on Player FM. We're also syndicating on uh, Port Africa in Uganda. You can listen to the show on CastBox FM. You can also listen to The Naked Talk on Radio Public, and you can catch the show uh, where we are on podcast TV here. <laughs> and, and, oh, my God, I'm trying to keep up with we're everywhere we are. You can listen to The Naked Talk um, on the Guru Radio Network in Canada. Or just go to our official website and check the channels where we are syndicated and listen to the show and any of our favorite. Or you can listen to on Apple Podcasts. So, yeah, um, we're syndicated, right, all over your internet radio. So you have no reasons whatsoever to miss any of our conversations, even when you miss them live. So, yes, you know, this uh, show today TNT 105 is brought to you by the Bragg Media Company. And, of course, if you're thinking, you know, powerful, amazing products or you're thinking visibility, influence, and impact, you definitely want to find out more about what we can offer you at www.thebraggmediacompany.com. And let's not forget our amazing friends at Global Royal. Now, Global Royal is all about bringing to you and giving to you a lifestyle. And if you want to, you know, if you've ever – ever thought about owning your your own home or having that lifestyle that you desire, then you definitely want to – Find out about just the amazing, um, you know, just the amazing um, portfolio, right? Their portfolio and the packages that they have. And you can find out more about how they can help you achieve the lifestyle that you want. And let's not forget our amazing friends at QTB Events. Now, QTB is all about your best, you know, the finest quality A-class event um, production. And you can find out about more about that if you just go to their website, QTB Events. Dot com. So it's events with an S dot com, and you can find out more about QTAB. Now, this, you know, this week I have so many amazing queens doing amazing stuff. And if you know, I'm all about celebrating powerful women just like me, women who are truth seekers, women who are not afraid to um, stand for what they believe in, women who are not afraid to be naked, right? naked in their own way, right? naked in their truth, naked in their brilliance, naked in their power, and, you know, just, we're just going about just being awesome, right? And so, of course, if you're thinking, if you, think, if you really, really need, um, and I know that a lot of people struggle with, you know, finding themselves and, and struggle with their personal journey, you definitely want to take the Dare to Be Me class. And the Dare to Me Be Me class is being hosted by my amazing, amazing queen, amazing queen, Sharon Jamison, life strategist, award-winning and best-selling author um, all the way in Atlanta, Georgia. And she started this Dare to Me class, Dare to Be Me class. And have you ever dared to be you? I know a lot of us are, you know, a figment of society. We're all striving to be perfect. We're all, you know, 
sort of a mock-up, <laughs> a mock-up of, you know, what, you know, just the things that we've been fed since we were growing up or what society has said we should be. And if you've ever dared to be yourself or you dare to be yourself and you're daring to sort, then definitely you want to take this class with Sharon Jameson. You can just go to bit.ly slash dares to be me um, or go to Sharon, Sharon, S-H-A-R-R-O-N-J-I-M-I-S-O-N, Jameson.com. And uh, click on the class and, and find out more about it and make sure to sign up for this amazing, amazing, amazing class. Or you can find out more about the information on our official website at thenakedtalk.live. And let's not forget, you know, an African girl abroad, you know, my amazing queen sister, uh, Stella Damasas, actress. If you're talking about one of the most iconic actresses from Africa, you know, I just love having her. She is an amazing actress and, you know, she's an amazing, amazing, powerful singer. You know, she's everything, right? And, you know, she has this amazing show now, you know, An African Girl Abroad, and you can watch it on Mona Freak. And so if you go to our website as well, you can catch all the new episodes, you know, of An African Girl Abroad. If you've ever had any sort of um, misinformation or misconception of what it is to be African or what it is to be an immigrant living somewhere else, what it is to be, that's definitely the show you want to watch and you want to stay up to date with what this powerful actress. And if you don't know Stella Damasis, go to StellaDamasis.com or Google her up and you'll understand what I'm talking about. So you definitely want to listen, you know, watch An African Girl Abroad. And you can find out more about it at the official website at www.thenakedtalk.com. Once you click on it, it will take you straight to Monofreak TV and you can watch this for free. So, yes, today on the Naked Talk, we're definitely creating a solution to climate change. Now, named one of the top 100 positive influences by the ecologist, today's guest is an active British environmentalist who believes that trees are the key to mitigating some of the effects of climate change, especially for those living on the front line in tropical Africa. Now, creating an awareness campaign encouraging people to slow down and green up, as well as founding the World Forest Organization. She knows that abundant new forests can alleviate poverty, and hence the reason why she and her team started tree planting and climate change awareness in Kenya. Now, I'm very excited to have my very special guest who's joining me live all the way from the UK. She is an environmentalist. She's a broadcaster and also a best-selling author. I'm very honored to have Tracy West joining me live all the way from the UK. Hi, Tracy. Welcome to The Naked Talk. Do you know what, Alex? I am so excited about this interview. I could fall off of my chair. You have built up my part so much. <laughs> Even I want to listen to what I've got to say. <laughs> Oh, my God, Tracy. First of all, thank you so much. I'm just, I've been counting down, literally counting down the hours to this show, and we've been wanting to do this for quite a while. And so finally it's here, and I'm like, and let me tell you what, people have been sending me messages. Everyone's, and it's so funny because, you know, this is not like in Nigeria here, for example, where I am. You know, climate change, I don't know that that's, a, you know, a conversation that we have openly, but, I mean, this is a global show. So and I'm definitely sure that the listeners want to learn, and I know that there's so much that we can take away from just – the amazing conversation we're going to have here tonight and just all the amazing stuff you're going to share. So thank you so much. And I don't know if you know this, but there's kind of like a red carpet for you, Tracy. Do you see the carpet? How exciting. I'm serious. I'm having to hang on to the side (laughs) of the chair. I am. I am. (laughs) 
Okay, so just before we get into this conversation, what is the weather like where you are right now? Because I know we were talking about this just before we went on live, and, and I was, you know, you were pretty much saying that um, you couldn't afford to go naked, right? Because, you know, it's, but what is the weather like right now? Do you know, I don't know if we're, we're just, we're only five minutes into this conversation, and I don't know, is this the point where I can confess I am delighted to be naked, but not right now. It's like 12, <laughs> it's like 12 degrees and I'd say oh, nippy is probably the best way. And it's it's dark. It's actually 10 past 10 in, at night here. And, uh, yeah, it's been decidedly chilly. But today, actually, we had some sunshine. Do you know, actually, my office is it's, um, uh, really in a, a, a gorgeous place. There are two huge windows beside my desk. And at some points during the summer, it is so hot. I kid you not, we have naked mm-hmm. office days. We have naked office days. There are the days when there aren't many people in here, but we have naked off because it's so warm. And, and you know, what can I say? Uh, but not now. It's chilly and I've got a hot cup of tea and I'm considering getting a hot water bottle. <laughs> well, here's what I said to you then, and I would say this now, is that we can get naked on your behalf, right? So those of us who are really hot where I am right now, sounds, right? Sounds it's supposed good. To re- <laughs> it's supposed you go to for it, girl. In here in Nigeria, but it's still pretty hot like it's been hot like you know for the last few days and you know I just want to strip up but anyway we're gonna get naked metaphorically so um you know just before we get into that conversation and this is for the sake of those who are um who've not been privileged right to come across you and your amazing work who are probably getting to meet Tracy for the first time especially here in this part um who would you say Tracy West is? I mean, how do you define the woman that she is today? I mean, you're this amazing woman who has become a champion, right, for sustainable living. So how, do, how does Tracy, how would Tracy describe herself? You know, I'm a little curious, though. Do you know, it's a really interesting question. Um, I recently turned 52. <clears throat> uh, last, uh, where are we, April? Last month I turned 52. And I would say that the migration to being the person I am in my silver-haired um, self has been uh, an interesting one. I had, I was born in the East End of London, so to a very, uh, a very, not an impoverished family, but just a real working class, basic family. We didn't have a great deal of money, but my parents bought my brother and I up on a, on a council estate and I went to a regular school. Um, We moved out to the country when I was about 11 years old. And my life as a youngster was tricky and challenged. My mum was an alcohol um, addict and she lost her life to alcohol addiction when I was 40 so just over a decade ago and um, it was difficult it was really hard I think from my earliest childhood memories my mum was a drinker and I had a very old head on young shoulders so I was used to kind of thinking about life the universe and everything from a very young age Mm -hmm. learning how to think on my feet learning how to make the best of the situation that I had and I suppose you know commonly when you're in that sort of a position you can either go one of two ways you can either go down that path yourself or you become a bit of an uh-huh. optimist and you try and find uh-huh. for want of a, a, a better way of explaining it you, you try and find your life uh, to have a bit of a glass half full and I, I took that opportunity uh-huh. um, and I guess the, sh- the shift towards being thinking about environmental things probably came when I was uh, probably came when I was pregnant, I think, when I started to have my children. And I f- 
you you know i i was sick i was sick from the virtual minute that i was pregnant and i uh worked i think for I, I was planning to work all the way through my pregnancies and then stop and then actually just become a mother and 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 take care of them rearing the kids was my goal but uh. um i had to stop early because i was really quite ill so i had a lot of time to think about things and to read and to research and i wanted to do best by the children that i was having you know nine months uh-huh. is a long time to to harvest them in your tummy and you have a lot of time to think about stuff and i wanted to just you know consider all the things that were going into their bellies I wanted to give them just simple home-cooked organic food if I could I wanted to try and learn how to grow Uh a few things uh in the garden and uh, Uh I sort of Uh yeah leaned towards mother nature a lot really during that time also it was a difficult time with my mother so I could just see kind of destruction happening with her and that was pretty dreadful and I realized I was just going to be you know bringing up the kids and just yeah, focusing on the things that became important to me. And I think leaning towards the green um, and looking at what Mother Nature could give us in, in an organic way, in a non-chemical way, was, was just became a, an uh-huh. absolute passion for me, really. And I sort of, yeah, I guess I kind of moved on from there. Uh, after stopping up, oh, my eldest son is nearly 21. My God, I don't know where that time went. 21, <laughs> 21, like you blink and they're just, you know, running around doing mm-hmm. child things and then they're, they're, they're four foot taller than you. Um, so, yeah, for, for the last sort of 21 years, I've been, uh, I, I, I couldn't possibly not work. I couldn't possibly not be productive. I always had something I wanted uh-huh. to say. Uh-huh. So I, I used to write. I used to write for magazines and any, anyone that would um, pay for a little bit of, uh, copy on environmental issues and I used to write about uh-huh. I mean I still do I write about things from an everyday standpoint an everyday point of view because uh-huh. um, I don't have lots of I've never had lots of money in the bank and and nothing nothing's ever going to change and that's fine but it, it uh-huh. kind of makes you think about it at a grassroots level so you think about how to make ends meet uh-huh. and actually if you if you do lean towards the green is one of my favorite expressions then you can actually save money and uh yeah you yeah it's it's the, the two things kind of go hand in hand so i suppose sort of thinking about being environmentally friendly thinking about ways to help the planet helped me too and i just loved writing about it and encouraging other people i don't take the whole beating people over the head approach that's not me it never has been so if i can't find an environmentally way an encouraging way to get an environmental message across i i won't deliver it really it's it's got to be you know you've got to do it with a smile you've got to make people want to switch into it you know to turn on to it Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, otherwise, it's just never gonna it's never gonna sink in. That's 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 how I feel. So I kind of found myself here at 52, doing much the same stuff as I've done for the last I don't know 25 years, um, and it's good. It's lovely. Some people like it too, and uh, oh, I must be <laughs> I must be good at something. I guess I must be getting out there somehow. So that's it. That's how I am where I am. Yeah. You know, you know, there's something that, you know, just listening to you, and I can truly, truly connect with, you know, how somehow motherhood sort of like um, changes just how you see the world, right? Because then you're not just looking out mm. for yourself, but then you're looking mm. out for these beautiful people, persons, or, you know, beings that you put into the world. And, of course, you want them to have the best life, the best health, you know, the best food. And so I can really picture, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can definitely picture why, 
you would all of a sudden care about, you know, just what goes into their body, what goes into your body yeah. as well or into your food because you want to be alive for them, right? You want to be the best health and you want to be able to raise them. And yeah. I think that that is amazing. Now, you know, just talking about just how, you know, taking all of the experience that you've had, and I think that, you know, you saying, also you mentioning just what it was like growing up. Um, mm. Should I kind of define us in a way that we choose the path that we want to go? And I see now, I can actually picture now why you have become this kind of like voice, right, for sustainable living and, and for women. But let's talk about that point when you decided that, okay, you know what, I'm not just going to take a passive interest, right? I mean, you, you went from having an interest and being interested in, in, you know, sharing your views from writing and all of that. Yeah. But, you know, at what point did you now decide that, you know, this, I'm going to take this up a notch, you know, this is not just going to be me just having an interest and just, you know, sharing a little here and a little there, but really building uh, the organization. I know that there's a kind of this bit of a story into you creating what forest organization. Mm. So how did that even happen in the first place? Well, um, I think if I kind of step back a little bit from you were saying, when did I sort of do the, the jump up? I guess it was probably 2002. In 2002, okay. I, I, my children were one, three and four. And I decided I mean, it took a, a couple of years of planning, but I decided at that point that I wanted to really, really change my life and the life of my husband um, at the time, uh, who I've now divorced, incidentally. So, um, but we wanted to really try and make a change and live a simpler, happier life because he was busy, you know, commuting and doing all the stuff that, that uh, a partner often does. And he just wasn't happy. So uh, we shifted across from the UK and we went to live in southwest France. And it was amazing. I mean, I put like about a year's worth of research into doing it and we found a, a, a lovely place in, in the country and uh, which needed a lot of work going to it. And the children were, as I say, at one, three and four, they were great because I'd already tried to teach them some French. <laughs> I, was, I was good with French too. And I just thought they would be able to live a, a really simple, happy life. So I had like two and a half acres and I was growing my own uh, food and rearing my own chickens. We had chickens, ducks, and two guinea fowl. The guinea fowl were amazing. The guinea fowl were crazy little things. They look like they got like, what do you call it? I, we call it tipex, but you know, like white out correction fluid. Guinea fowl just look like someone's painted that on their faces. They are strange creatures. So we had two of those. <laughs> they do, but they do. And I had, I had 10, so I had 43 ducks, uh, no, 43 chickens, and 10 of those were ex-battery chickens as well. So they were just amazing to look after. So we had chickens, we had ducks, we had, we had eggs obviously coming out of our ears, food because it was growing in the southwest of France and it was lovely. And I just could see so much going on in the UK media at that time that was pointing people towards just kind of like selling everything up and moving out of the moving out to the country or moving countries themselves and trying to find this ideal this idyllic thing that would make them happy and whilst I'd put a lot of time and effort into my migration it certainly wasn't anything I took I undertook lightly we did do a lot of planning for it a lot of people in Britain weren't doing that they were just kind of up and off they were just heading off and there was like a big queue at Dover you know to just get across to France or to Spain and to just be <laughs> in the sunshine and having a better life and I could see that it was so destructive you know there were programs on the television about how to 
um, sell everything in your attic and make as much money as you could and, you know, decorate your house and make it look amazing, make loads of money. And I just knew that a lot of the people who, who I was, I was columning for a few magazines at the time, uh, I was writing about a thing called downshifting. So voluntary simplicity as mm. um, the Americans like to call it. And they were, they were so disenchanted with their lives and they desperately wanted happy <laughs> and they were, they were shifting. And like I say, I'm moving to other countries and I could see that it wasn't going to give them the answers they wanted. So I was trying to write about it in a way that was, you know, taking off the rose tinted spectacles and saying, really, what you've got to do is address the things in your life. You've got to address your spending habits. You've got to address the way yeah. you look at things, you know, it, people buy stuff and they get this tiny buzz of endorphins whizzing around in their system because they've made a purchase. And if you've got this addiction to buying things and to shiny things, you know, it's, it's just, a, it is, a, it is, it is, and it can be an addiction and people buy things to make them feel happy. But actually what they're looking for is something that won't come with spending money. And, the, mm-hmm. the secret the secret is really in trying to teach them how to downshift their lives and and give a positive embrace to living with less and that's the thing oh. that holds happiness lies within that it really does but it's it's quite a challenge to get people to to not do such an extreme thing like moving abroad um and to to kind of address it within their own four walls um, so I was writing about oh. downshifting and, and that was the thing. And I think after about a couple of years of doing that, I started because I had so many people writing to me from all over the world, the States, Japan, you name it. I had I had emails coming in and they would say, I've got the house. I've got a summer house. I've got the boat. I've got this. I've got I'm doing four holidays a year. I'm not happy. What am I doing wrong? And and I just oh. thought, Do you know, what? if I if I put an awareness campaign together, And I say other people are thinking about living a simpler, happier life with less consumption, less money, less spending and more time than more time to spend with their loved ones or doing the things they want to do. But less time working. So less time earning money, less money in your hands. If I if I make an awareness campaign of that and I validate that idea, people can say, oh, my God, other people are thinking this thing, too. I'm not crazy. You know, I'm normal. I'm normal. And it would encourage them to to take that step and to go forward. So that was really where downshifting. um, Yeah, downshifting week started. I think that was definitely over 10 years ago that I did that. And and sort of the yeah, I suppose that's been a, a constant theme throughout all of my work is leaning towards the green, spending less money, um, pulling away from the consumerist culture and finding the happy that lies within you. Um, we actually moved back to England after about four years and it wasn't that moving to France wasn't a success. In fact, it was quite the opposite. I found myself commuting back to England to to do interviews and to do stuff <laughs> on downshifting. Huh? It was bonkers. And I thought, do you know what? I didn't start writing about all of this and doing all this stuff so I could commute back to England. So we shifted back mm. to England and I kind of carried on the work from there. Then I was asked to write a book called The Book of Rubbish Ideas, uh, which I absolutely <laughs> love. 
oh, the book of rubbish ideas. Have you seen my book? You have, haven't you? I saw you saw it on my Twitter feed yeah. earlier, the book of rubbish ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a book on... Uh, I love on, it. Oh, you. Yeah, sorry. Um, we have a small satellite delay on our links because we've got a big, long piece of electric <laughs> string going all the way around the world to do this interview. Um, the book of rubbish ideas, I was asked to write that because uh, my stuff was in magazines all over the place. And it was basically uh, um, a journey through the house. It took it takes people, not took people, it takes people on a journey through their house. And it says, you're in the bedroom or the bathroom or your outdoor room, your garden room or your sheds or whatever it is. What stuff have you got in that room that you get rid of, that you could get rid of, that, or that becomes rubbish um, and how, or trash? And how do you... How do you think about replacing it? You know, how can you stop it from going into landfill? Mm. And it was such a mm. great book to write because, again, it was done from, you know, uh, an everyday standpoint, an everyday person's point of view. You don't need loads of money in order to kind of make these changes. You do need to think about buying things with longevity in mind. So, mm. um, you know, buying things that are cheap, that going to have things like they're going to have um, obsolescence built into them which is just another whole topic obsolescence being built into stuff just drives me crazy <laughs> and it's but it's true you know things used to last in my office in, in my mm-hmm. office behind behind my desk I have a um oh I don't know what the name of the thing is I have a uh a, a can it's a, a food can um it's like a cooking mm-hmm. thing that the soldiers used in world war one mm-hmm. i think it was from world war one and it's uh so they would have their food in it. it they could boil up water in it and i kid you not it is solid mm-hmm. and it's built from um, um stainless <laughs> steel or, or what would it what simon what is my mm-hmm. thing aluminium he's saying it's built from aluminium it's not built from lead if it was made from lead it would kill them no it's made from aluminium i'm not a scientist mm-hmm. he does science i do words um and it's so <laughs> solid and so brilliant. And if you look at some of the pots and pans that you can buy from the shops these days, they wouldn't last like six months before they need to go in the bin. Mm. Obsolescence is built into stuff these days. And it is terrifying. And the problem is, is things aren't built to last. And you have different types of obsolescence. You have, oh, it's a mess tin, Simon is just, Simon is lovely. He is like my little researcher. It's a mess tin. You know, that's, that's what <laughs> Anyway, um, obsolescence is horrific and it is built into stuff. You have perceived obsolescence. So, for example, I'll give you an example of perceived obsolescence. Let me ask you, Alex, how long is your skirt that you're wearing today? Are you wearing a skirt or trousers? How long is your, are you wearing a skirt? Okay, I- Okay, I'm wearing a skirt right now. Okay, right. It's so a dress. How, it's, a, how, it's like a, it's a how, dress. It's a dress. Okay, that's cool. Pretty Tell long. me, how, how many inches is that skirt or that dress off the ground? Uh, quite a, I think it touches, like, it's right all the way to my fit. Like, maybe a few inches, maybe just an inch off the ground or two. It's pretty okay. long, right? Okay, so, so consider <laughs> yeah. this. So consider, funnily enough, so am I. I've got a long dress on too, and it's pretty much about the same, same kind of length as you. So consider this. All of the big heads of all of the fashion bodies, imagine the concept. Imagine this concept. They're all sitting in a room a year ago, 
a year ago. And they're saying in 2019, we're going to have hemlines at, I don't know, four inches below the knee, let's just say. So next year, they mm-hmm. already know, and they do, they already know what fashion and what mm-hmm. designs they're going to do for, for next year. Gonna be, yeah. How, how does this yeah. happen? It doesn't happen that they all do different ones. They have a plan. They plan. They plan mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. your, your two or three inches off the ground um, dress obsolete next year. You are going to mm-hmm. be so off trend, girl, if you're wearing that next year. And this is how it happens. <laughs> it's true, but it's true. And the minute you kind true. of go, I, do you know what? I've worked it out. This, this perceived obsolescence of my skirt being the wrong length or the wrong color. It's all, oh, mm-hmm. I'm so tempted to swear and I won't. But it's all just like, oh, it's, we can't possibly wear that. If you're kind of trying to keep mm-hmm. up and on trend. Or can you? Actually, mm. here's the thing. Yes, you can. Yes, you, Alex, you can. wear that dress. Absolutely. Wear that dress. <laughs> next year, girl, wear it next year. And, and that's the bit where you kind of realize, that's the bit where you realize you don't have to follow the trends. You don't have to listen right, to this exactly. obsolescence thing. And you can set your own trends. And also that opens the door to thinking about secondhand clothes and charity shops and thrift mm. Uh, thrift stores I think you call them um, in in the states and there are and 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 swapping clothes with your friends keeping all these things out of landfill but having a fresh set of clothes for you to wear you know new colors new ideas and new stuff but kind of letting go of this whole we must follow the fashion we must stay on trend because that's how so much stuff ends up in landfill and it's chaos so I wrote Mm. the rubbish ideas which kind of takes you through each of these rooms and it shows you how to a ditch this perceived obsolescence concept which is bonkers and also but then you've got built-in obsolescence so like your trainers your sneakers or your shoes will have a certain life in them they'll be like six months old and then they'll be worn down to a point where you they're, they're no longer functional and but they were so cheap is what people will say they're so cheap it doesn't matter I'll just get a new pair and you just think wow you're kind of feeding into this whole thing of of needing to spend lots of money and or or buy the cheap ones and just buy another one because it's so cheap and it doesn't matter and this is how we've Mm -hmm. kind of ended up in this problem with the rubbish so the book of rubbish ideas really was just about showing you how to make better decisions with the stuff that you're buying and also to show you quite innovative ways to get rid of things that were rubbish. And, um, yeah, uh, I had a few interesting things. Because I, I looked at everything in, in all of the rooms. And I came up with some unusual things that we could recycle from the bedroom. I'm waiting mm. for you to say, wow. oh, really? And I'm going to say, I was oh, going to yeah. say, yeah, I was going to say things like, things like, what? <laughs> things like, what, please? Uh, let's think things like what please do you know when I used to do this when I when the book first came out and I was interviewed up and down the country and I loved it so much this was often a question I was I was posed because I think nobody had actually talked about recycling uh adult toys let's say put it in a gentle frame shall I adult toys um and I and I thought well do you know what here's here's the thing sex toys are basically made of generally two or three things plastic rubber and electrical Mm -hmm. components guess what all of those things can be recycled all of them all of them can be recycled and and sex toys generally aren't known for longevity 
so you know you'll they come in from the far east and they're really cheap and they'll last maybe 12 months and then what happens i you know and i used to pose this question to people and i'd say well what do you do when your toy just breaks down and it doesn't work anymore and they would say well i wrap it up in 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 bits of newspaper and chuck it in next door's bin so you think oh my god (laughs) (laughs) this is terrible which all these things are going into landfill. And I came across an amazing recycling scheme. Don't fall off of your chair, Alex, really. An amazing <laughs> recycling scheme for, for vibrators and the like. And, and it was so clever because it was by a company in England, I think, that were making um, or, and selling their own toys. So they had a range of products they wanted to sell. But what they were saying was, if you have something that you that doesn't work anymore and you want to get rid of it, send it in to us and we will strip it apart and break it into its component parts and recycle it. And I was just thrilled by this because I thought, you know what, I can't, you know, I, I, it's a thing people have in their houses because what it started with was it was a, there was a survey done by Durex, who was a, a, a condom manufacturer, and it mm-hmm. said how many how many people um how many people in the uk use a sex toy and i think it was like over half of the adult population admitted to using a sex toy <laughs> so i just thought you know what that is millions of toys all of which are ending up in landfill so that's what started me on this thing and thinking how can we recycle this stuff and and there are schemes everywhere for everything and the problem is you know, people are just busy. They they can't be bothered. They they don't know about stuff, and we've all kind of got to switch things up a notch, really, to make sure that things like this, particularly that that type of thing, it's a simple thing. You know, electrical component, it has to go into a scheme where it can be recycled. And it's the same with clothes and, uh, like I said, pots and pans and and lights and all of those things which most people think about recycling, light bulbs and, and so on and so forth. But we have to be a bit more vigilant, I think. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on over in the UK with regard to plastic pollution right now. And I know you've talked about it recently on your programs too. Uh, it's a big issue and it's being taken quite seriously at last over in the UK. It's weird because there's a thing happening in and around the Southwest where I live. And there's a group of people, funnily enough, my friends, which are just, my friends are amazing. A group of my friends and they are involved (laughs) in a larger, they're involved in a larger group. I tell you what, inspiration just goes on and on. I love it. Um, They're involved in a larger group and they went to the supermarket last Saturday. I think it was last Saturday, Simon, last Saturday. And they got to the, they did this as a planned event in a big supermarket store. They got to the tills at the same time with, you know, a a trolley full of stuff. And as they paid for their goods, they took all of the plastic and the cardboard and the stuff off and they left it at the till. And which caused a bit of an uproar. And everyone was, all the people behind the tills were going, oh, my God, oh, my God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and the press were there because, of course, they were briefed. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was excellent. You know, people were actually going, I'm taking off my rubbish and I'm leaving it at the shop because guess what? You can. And I wrote, th- I wrote about this in my book of rubbish ideas 10 years ago. 
So, you know, and I wasn't the first one to come up with that idea. Well, I, I came up with the idea of writing a letter to your local supermarket. And in that letter, you would say, Dear Mr. Shop uh, Owner, um, I use your store regularly. Uh, I would really like to come through the shops and buy my buy my groceries and my stuff. And I'd like to leave the uh, erroneous waste at the point of sale. Uh, and I'd like you to take it. So could you please put a receptacle at the end <laughs> of the till? Yeah, but hey, why not? You know, over here in, in the UK, we have, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, animal shelter boxes and local refuge uh, boxes and things like that. So they have boxes there that you can put a tin or two of something in to, to go to the refuge or to go to the animal center. Why can't they have a big box for you to put your rubbish in, your plastic rubbish, your, your, your you know, if you're having yogurt and it's wrapped in with a piece of cardboard, just leave it all at the point of sale. Why can't you do that? You can't, guess what? You can do that. So I was kind of like saying, write a letter to your store manager and say, we want you to do that or else we'll tell our friends and our friends will come into your <laughs> shop and our friends will shop together in unison and they'll take it all off at the till together and there will be anarchy. Um, and basically like 10 years on <laughs> in the local shops up the road, this is what they've done. And it's like the whole of Britain is going, oh, oh my God, there are people that are they're taking things off the till and leaving them there. What are we going to do? Guess what's going to happen? The supermarkets are going to kind of, I mean, the fact that it's gone off positively into the local press is brilliant because it will encourage other groups to do it too because it's a bit radical. But it's not, you know, it's mm. not going to get you locked up and put into clinky. It's going gonna, it's gonna to just sort of <laughs> cause a bit of a ripple, you know, around your community. Mm. And just imagine, it's like chucking a pebble into the pond, isn't it? You know, imagine if, 10 communities next week decide because of this event here in Somerset that they're going to do it in their one and then they inspire 10 other small communities to do it in theirs and so on and so on and so forth before you know it the likes of Sainsbury and Tesco and 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 Waitrose and 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 the co-op and all those other big stores are going to be fronted with the idea that they've got to take responsibility the products that they are selling that are covered in all of this erroneous plastic waste and carvel waste and so on and that people are going to start leaving their rubbish at the tills because they don't want to take it home what they actually want is the supermarkets to take more responsibility for the places they source their products and that they were because you know all the supermarkets um, have to pay, as do probably all businesses, I imagine, all around the world, they have to pay to have their rubbish disposed of. So they have to pay yeah. for it generally by the ton. And I, I really don't know what the what the tonnage uh, limit is these days. I, I haven't a clue. I haven't looked at it for such a long time. I wouldn't want to quote it. But it's a fair amount of money. So therefore, if they start to have you know, a bit more selectivity in the people that they're buying stuff from because producer X does no packaging, but yet it all does, uh, you know, does it in a certain way that it doesn't um, create a whole load of stuff that goes into landfill at the end for the customer, you know, uh, th then they're going to perhaps mm -hmm. look at that because otherwise if they take product from uh, producer Y, 
they know that they're going to be left with a whole load of stuff. And it pushes that thing back. It's like, it's, it's like King Canute, you know, pushing back the tide. Mm-hmm. I, am, I am Queen Canute, girl, and I'm pushing back that rubbish tide. I don't want that stuff. And people are finally, really, in Britain, they are seriously taking control of the rubbish they take home. I have had a conversation this very evening with a dear friend of mine who is opening a zero-waste shop in uh, a place called Ottery St. Mary, which is a, a tiny little village, very sweet little village. She's taken over the old post office, and she's going to have a shop with dispensers in. So you go in to this shop with your bags. You might make some muslin bags or something mm-hmm. or, uh, or some boxes, and you go in, and you're going to have your, your cornflakes or your cashew nuts or whatever it is you want to buy or sesame seeds and you're going to have them weighed out into your containers with no plastic and you're going to pay for that stuff and you're going to go home how cool is that not only is my friend Alice starting up this new shop in about two months time she's in the process of getting the store looking really lovely it's only going to be a little shop but you know what she's going to have a lot of people going there there's another store in Bridport which is ah. 10 miles in a complete opposite direction to Ottery. And I think within the next month or so, they're also opening a shop called, is it Way Not, Way Not, I can't even say it, Way Not, Waste None or something like that. I can't remember what the play on words is. But anyway, (laughs) same kind of thing. So you go on in there, you're not going to come out with any rubbish because you're going in with the vessels that you want. I remember going into uh, one of the big supermarkets last year sometime and I tried to go in and buy some olives and uh, I think sun-dried tomatoes you know like stuff from the deli counter and I said Uh I've got vessels I want to give you these vessels I'd like you to put the stuff in there I don't want the plastic bag and the the plastic rubbishy thing that you know just is going to host those tomatoes for like four hours before I serve them up and she said oh Oh, we can't, we can't do that. And I said, why can't you do that? I'm saying, here's my clean vessel. You put the tomatoes in. I go to the till. I pay for the tomatoes, and I don't have any plastic. And she said, oh, we can't, we can't do that. And I said, really? Why? She said, well, if your container's got dirt in it, then the food's gonna go off, and then you might get sick, and then you might sue us. And I said, seriously? seriously and she said yep we can't do it we've been told from head office that we cannot put things into people's vessels in case it kills them or makes them very sick and you just think oh my god oh my god I just you put your hand in the air really don't you you know (laughs) anyway I'm going to take a cup of tea now and just drink a little bit is that okay I'm sorry I've been talking for so long tell me about your shopping do you go to the supermarket (laughs) do you do you demand to have less plastic in your shops no and that is why this conversation is truly truly amazing (laughs) right um Tracy, because it's funny how, you know, and I was going to ask a question and I kind of got my answer because while you were, you know, you you talked about quite a number of things and and I'm hoping that I can, you know, just run, run along some of those things. But just before I forget this, you know, I was going to say, you know, I was going to really ask you what role 
we humans play, right? In terms of the, you know, what human activity or what roles that we play in contributing, in contributing to what's going on with the climate. And it's funny that you kind of answered my question in a way, you know, by just sharing all the different ways that we truly mess up you know, just the entire rubbish that we take into our homes that end up, yeah. you know, and I said, I was thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, she's talking to me, she's talking to me, she's talking about me. <laughs> and not just about me, maybe about a lot of our listeners as well, because I don't think that we make a conscious effort. And there's something, you, you know, you talked about, you know, down, um, downsizing or down really, yeah. and, and, you know, I know there's a lot of, you know, um, minimalist. I just made me remember one of my, my good friends, Felice Cohen. She's one of my co-authors in the book, and she's really what I like to call the tiny house. Um, she's really into the tiny house movement, right? And she's a little, in my head like the tiny house queen, and really is all about minimalization and how to mm-hmm. down, like you said, downsize and and really organize, you know, organize your things and organize your home and organize your life. And she does have a book called Living Large in a Small Space, and um, she had this viral video where she was living in a 90 square foot apartment and it was like, you know, this video is like viral, like around the world. But the point (laughs) is you just, you know, some of the things you said really, really, I think where a lot of us are guilty of is that, like you said, you know, we don't really have to follow trend. And I guess that's why we have this naked conversation here is that Uh really you don't have to have the next, you know, the next, you know, you don't have to follow train. You don't have to have out the have the next libel. You don't have to have the new edition. You don't have to Hell have yeah. the new, you know, whatever it is. You know, because the one you still have is still okay. Like, I mean, what's the point? You're spending all that money. You're building all that rubbish. You're, you know, it's just wasteful. It's really wasteful. And listening to you just made me realize how wasteful I been in some ways. Not proud. You know, I don't wait like to waste food at home. But I guess food is not the only thing. You- waste right so you just think of okay why do I have to buy a new you know I have like how many mugs and cups and you know you have all these things and what are you doing with them anyway to just take up space and so I think that that is really really you know important that you share that and you also talked about you know how you know you talked about just the whole um you know, people wanting to migrate and what was going on at the time in the UK, mm. but everyone's trying mm. to migrate. And it's funny because even we here in Africa, you know, you talk to, you know, I get to talk to a lot of um, people and, 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 and coach, and then they just go, um, you know, you know, I, w- I want to travel abroad and I want to go to the UK. I want to go to the US. So I want to migrate. And mm. something you really said is that a lot of the time, you know, people, these people had country homes, they had, you know, money, they had so many things, but they weren't happy. And we always think it's that, you know, our happiness is going to be found in when we move, but there's something mm. obviously they need to fix in their lifestyle. And Absolutely. which is, you know, just something that you pointed. And it's funny because I used to say to these young people as well and say, hey, you want to move, but you know what? Even if you moved to the U.S. or to the U.K. and you moved with the same mindset and the yeah. same way you behave, nothing will change because Absolutely. it's not really about the location. It really is about what's going on on the inside. So I'm really gr- glad that we're having this conversation because I guess that, that's also what it is about being naked. It's about you being conscious, right? There's a certain awareness that we step into about our behavior and our choices and the way we live our life. And I, I definitely want to read the book of rubbish because I think that it really does have interesting. <laughs> and I'm hope and I hope the listeners can go just go check for it right now. But you know the book of rubbish. But this is what we're gonna do, Tracy. I know that we yeah. still have so much to talk about. But how about, let's take a quick musical break. We're going to take a quick musical break because I feel like we need some music in this party, right? You know what? And this is leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm thinking at this stage, believe you me, girl, we haven't even scratched the surface. So if we're not done with this one, (laughs) we're going to have to schedule in another event. Quick, squeeze the music in. Go, go, go.
Yes, yes. And this is Leaving Like You Did by Romeo Crow. And guess what? He's British. I'll talk to you. Don't go anywhere. Thank you. I've been worrying about you. You don't seem to face the truth. And it just seems to come through. In every
my amazing, amazing, amazing friend, Romeo Crow. And Romeo is a singer-songwriter and has been a guest on the show. He was on the uh, he was a guest on the show once. He's been a guest on the show twice, I think. He was a guest here in 2014, and he was part of our first anniversary special in 2015, I think. And, yes, that's Leaving Like You Do. And if you're just joining us, wherever you're listening from around the world right now, this is still the Naked Talk with Alex Akurji. And, yes, I'm coming to you live all the way from Lagos, Nigeria, in the heart of West Africa. And, yes, we've been having an amazing, amazing, amazing conversation with my very special guest, Tracy West, who's joining me live all the way from the U.K. She is an amazing environmentalist. She is a broadcaster, and she is a best-selling author. And Tracy has really been sharing with us just all the amazing ways we, you know, just the way we're leaving, right, you know, the way we're being wasteful and just some of the choices we make, kind of, you know, letting our habits sort of affect the climate and, you know, just the things that we do and all the things we collect and we buy and how we waste money and all of that. And so I think Romeo's song was pretty much very, uh, <laughs> very apt, if I may say. Uh, hi, Tracy. Welcome back to the Naked Talk. Hey, Alex. That was really good. I enjoyed that enormously. Do you know, you, I realized that I hadn't answered the whole of the questions. You posed me two questions before, um, before that rather excellent um, musical interlude. But um, I was thinking just to kind of wrap up the whole downshifting thing and, you know, mm-hmm. learning how to give a positive embrace to living with less and how people get started with all that kind of stuff. And when you were talking about mm-hmm. my broadcasting, because uh, I, I am a broadcaster, I, I've done all sorts of things. I don't do it as a, a, a particularly big thing because my, my main job, I think, over this last 20 years has been being a mother and bringing up my children. But one of the ways that I loved doing broadcasting was by uh, working in, in my local hospital as a radio broadcaster mm-hmm. um, on hospital radio, which is a voluntary job. So I don't know how much the hospital radio network is, um, how big a deal it is over where you are or, or even <laughs> in, in the States. But in the UK, it's quite a big mm-hmm. deal. And uh, hospital radio is great. It's an amazing thing to do. But it leads me to the point of volunteering. So some people, in order to kind of learn about um, how to feel good about themselves and how to feel good about their lives, this is what you sort of inspired me with, with your sort of resume of the last hour of our discussions. One of the ways they can do that is by trying a little bit of volunteering, because guess what? You don't get paid. And if you feel good about doing something good, that helps the planet or humanity, people or animals, wildlife, you can, it's a, it's a feeling that you get with no other activity. I mean, you just don't, you know, money cannot buy the way that you can feel great about doing something when you're volunteering. So it's a good, you know, if people are thinking, oh my gosh, I don't know how to start, consider doing something voluntary for your community. Yeah. It's a good way to get started with the, uh, the way to lean towards, living with less with a positive embrace Mm. you know you know what tracy i mean you now i know why you were named one of the top positive influencers (laughs) by the ecologist because you just have a way of just pepping us upright and um you know but but you know you said a lot of things just before went on that musical break and honestly speaking you know it had really thinking about my own habits too you know sometimes and especially everywhere but you know even here in africa we're really big on collecting right, mm. and owning, and purchasing, and having, and 
you know, I, I guess, you know, it's a human thing. We all just want to have and keep having and have it. But we're not really thinking about do we need to, you know, you know, what is. Mm. And so just. I'll challenge that. Do you know Sorry. why I think I, why I think that is? That is because the global media, the kind of the, 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 the splashy magazines you get when you go to the dentist or the doctors, the big ones that have dresses and outfits in there that you just couldn't possibly afford, those, those, those magazines are making you aspire to, if I have that thing and I tick that box and I have that figure or I wear that makeup or I'm wearing those eyes or those, that hair and blah, 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 I will be happy. I will look perfect. And do you know what? It's just rubbish it just is rubbish the secret (laughs) lies within us all but the trouble is is that media pressure to keep up with everything is so high it's so high and you've got to kick against the tide you've got to king canute it again you be the queen canute girl kick back and say no I'm not doing that (laughs) and when you do that when that penny drops and you kind of realize that you don't have to chase the money you can lean towards, you know, better things, have more time, have better sex. This was a thing that I was, um, <laughs> oh, it's true, but this was another thing that I was, a, many, many years ago, there was um, a piece that I read and it was about infidelity and it was about um, the fact that everyone's working so hard. This is like way, way back, you know, mm. I don't know, might even have been at the time of me kind of before the children back in the 90s when I used to work in the city in London and it was all there were infidelity was massive and it was because everybody was working so hard at the office the only time they had time for a bit of nookie was in the store cupboard with you know the girl on the next floor up or whatever um and they didn't it's true it's true and office affairs were going through the roof and it was because everyone was out there running the money there was no time to go home and oh oh hang on a minute I've got quick 10 minutes quick let's get upstairs no one's looking bang 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 all done and then it's like this unsatisfying (laughs) but you know this functional um event that has taken place and oh I've had sex that's great and and oh it's fine it's I've ticked it off the list of things to do this week yes I've done it I've done it and it's it's gone mad whereas you know, if you weren't earning so much money or the need wasn't so high, you might go home early and you might jump into bed in the afternoon and you might just find out what afternoon delight is. But you won't be earning the cash, mm. so you've got to kind of balance all those things in your head. And that was another thing. And it's, it's you know, I think it still stands true today. People are not as much as they were back then, but it's, you know, it's about being happy. It's about searching for that thing that will make you happy. And the one thing I do know is it doesn't come in money form. You know, Tracy, this is so powerful. It's funny. We're <laughs> laughing and you just had me giggling all the way. But it's so true because it's almost like we're putting the pressure on ourselves. We're pressure ourselves to you know, earn so much money, like we feel yep. like if we don't have it, we can't be happy, we have to buy this, we have to buy that, and really we're buying it to have ourselves, right, we're buy- buying all those things, we're going to put them back out there, just so that we can make the entire world just unhealthy, and just, just you know, like like you said, what are we buying it for anyway, because, you know, you have four or five cars, you can't even drive all four or five cars at the yeah. same time, like, exactly. I mean, you have exactly. all the homes, 
You're not going to leave us, you know, in two, three houses at the same time. So we pressure ourselves to have all these things that when we find out, find out we don't exactly need. We want, we desire, but we don't need. And this is yeah. really important that we're having this, you know, just this conversation. So I was going to yes. ask you this. I know mm. that you are – you and your team, and just before we talk about that, I mean, you and your team started doing very amazing, you know, work planting trees and creating sort of like climate change awareness mm. in Kenya. Yeah. So, what led what led you to? I mean, I'm wondering what is this British woman looking for in Kenya? I mean, how how did you decide that? Oh. You know, why Kenya, and how did you and your you know just how did you and your powerful team just find your way all the way to just um you know the beautiful motherland. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> it's a wonderful story and one I love telling very much. So I'm all about recycling, you know, recycling stuff. There are some things you can't recycle and that should never be recycled. And that's bad husbands. So I got rid of one of those. <laughs> yeah, I got rid of one of those. And it was the best thing I ever did. Um, and then luckily, wonderfully luckily, I found my soulmate. I found my soulmate and it was just, it was just all the bells were ringing, let me tell you. Um, and we got married. I didn't lose sight of the joy that love can bring. And I let love back into my life. And I, he is just a fabulous man. Simon is my wonderful husband now. And when we got married, because we both share the same views on uh, stuff, you know, on things, material things. And actually, his ex and my ex, they got the money. We got the happy. So, but unfortunately, when you come out of a big relationship <laughs> and they get the stuff and you get no stuff, it's tricky. You know, it's a challenge, but it's fine. And if you're careful and thrifty and you look around and go to the charity shops and ask your friends or, or see what's just going around that's inexpensive, you can build up a new home again. And we did. And we've, we've, we've had a little rented flat that we squashed the children into. And uh, they were all fine. It was all good. Um, and we got married. And when we got married, our friend said, uh, oh, we had a very an amazingly inexpensive wedding. Simon, actually, you looked at the cost of our, because we, we were at a wedding at the weekend and it was quite a superb, exuberant wedding. But our wedding, can you remember how much ours cost? You, you tallied it up, didn't you, the other day? About <laughs> 700 pounds, 700 pounds. Okay, so our whole wedding cost 700, wow. 700 pounds. I bought my wedding dress no, from the charity. No, you're kidding. No, I kid you not. Bought my wedding dress from the charity <laughs> shop from the cancer research head office charity shop. And I was, it was beautiful and it was about 150 quid. It was gorgeous. And we had, um, uh, we got married in Lyme Regis, which is on the seafront on the Jurassic coast in the Southwest of, of, of England. And uh, our congregation walked from the, 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 uh, the guild hall to the seafront, which is about, I don't know, 200 yards. And we had fish and chips delivered fish and chips and vegan and vegetarian pies delivered from the local fish and chip shop. And all of our guests ate fish and chips on the beach. And then we went paddling in the <laughs> sea. I went paddling in my wedding dress in the sea and people were looking at me going, Oh, she's going in the sea. And I'm thinking, it's just a dress. It'll wash. Relax. Yeah. Anyway, went in the sea. Da, da, da. <laughs> right. So that was the wedding. But then all of our friends, they said, oh, we need to buy you something we need to buy. And I said, no, you don't really. Honestly, we're fine. We've got a toaster. We've got a kettle. We've got all the stuff we need. And I went, no, come on, we need to buy you something. And I went, it's fine, honestly. And, and then I thought about it. And I understood why 
because I went from some serious dark. I had, it was awful. My divorce was horrific. It was, it was a bad, bad period of, it was depression. I have no shame in admitting it was depressing. It was awful. I had medication and I came up out the other side and it was good. And they said, we have to have something to mark this change. You're back as you used to be. You're, you're vibrant again and colorful. And, and I said, you know what? I have a really good friend called Rue Hartwell, who I'd known for many years. That's the thing. When you write about environmental stuff, you get to meet some really dead cool people. And he was one of my dead cool friends. And he was a global, is a global forestry expert. And he had been planting trees all over the planet. And he had this epiphany one day, a scientific epiphany. And he went, do you know what? I've realized that, yes, it's great. Plant a tree anywhere. It's brilliant. But if I plant a tree in uh, a deforested area in Kenya, it will do so much more than just having a tree, you know, going into the ground. Because, of course, uh, within, say, five, five to seven years, it will reach a reasonable maturity, depending on what the tree is, of course. Reasonable maturity. It will absorb like a quarter of a ton of CO2. It will have grown faster than anywhere else on the planet because like it's three degrees south of the equator that's tropical it's you know it's amazing so from an environmental point of view it's just brilliant and additionally if it's put into an area that's very impoverished and a community can um, take care of the tree uh, that within say five years seven years that tree will be giving them commodities that can lift them up out of poverty. So you're doing this massive thing that's helping the planet, that's helping the communities because it's, 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 yeah, it's giving them an ability to, to lift themselves out of a dreadful situation. It's creating wildlife habitats. It's creating human habitat, you know, shade and shelter and a million other things, locking water into the soil and, you know, I could, oh, and, and don't get me started on evapotranspiration. Oh, okay, then I'll tell you about evapotranspiration. I love doing the evapotranspiration talk thing. Right, so evapotranspiration is where the rain comes down, it goes onto the leaves, and it's like, this is in Kenya or Nigeria, somewhere where it's really hot. And the water turns back into vapor because it's sat on a leaf. And it's gone back up into the sky. And then the sky gets a bit blowy, a bit windy, and it goes down and it rains again, like further down, you know, it might be a couple of miles away, it might be 10 miles away, but it rains again. If the rain comes down and goes straight into dead earth, it just sinks into the earth. If it goes onto a tree, it evapotranspirates and it brings more rain. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. More trees will bring back the normal rains in Kenya. It will, en masse. My God, it needs to be an awful lot of trees, but it can be done. So anyway, Rue said, plant some trees here, and this is a great thing to do. And we went, do you know what? That is beautiful. So our friends bought us a wedding forest. How cool is that? Wow. Wow. Yeah. And then you, you and, really do have awesome friends. <laughs> and then after that, about two years after we got married, uh, yes, about two years, three years after we got married, I was working as a publisher. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was working as a publisher, and I, I still have this, you know, love and desire to encourage people to do more stuff. And I thought, because I love writing, I think I was born with a pen in my hand, which must have really, really upset my mother. But anyway. Uh, 
Writing is great. <laughs> writing is such fun. And I thought it would be brilliant to start a writing competition. Uh, and, and so I did. Uh, but the reason behind starting the writing competition was because I wanted to plant a tree for every single entry. So I decided to create, wow. I came down the stairs, I came down the stairs in the morning, I said, Simon, I've had this really good idea. And he went, what? Great. What is it? And I said, a, a, a literary prize. We're going to do a literary prize. And he went, great. That might actually get us a little bit of money in. That's a really good idea. And I went, but we have to plant a tree for every entry. And he went, that's the money gone then. Never mind. Let's do it. So we did. And we have just had the fourth magic oxygen literary prize uh it's held every year towards the end of the year it finishes uh at um uh, new year's eve it, it finishes at midnight actually at the last possible minute of the year and we've had thousands of entries over the four years that we've done the magic oxygen literary we call it mulp m-o-l-p for short which is a lot easier mm-hmm. and mulp literally does it plants a tree for every entry and and it's five pounds to enter which is you know, I, it's it's not much in the whole scheme of big writing competitions. Five quid is is barely anything. We have a three thousand pound prize fund. Um, it's for short stories or for poetry. And um, so yeah, and there's like a thousand pounds top prize in each of those categories, and then three hundred for second, a hundred for third, and then two prizes of fifty quid. So that actually create created the next big batch of forests that we, we started to, 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 uh, to, to create, you know, we started to grow. And the thing mm-hmm. that I wanted to do at that point was also not just plant the trees because I thought to myself, do you know what? The folks over in Kenya and in Africa per se, you know, they're living at the sharp end of climate change. You know, climate change is real. Desertification is is pressing ever closer uh, and it's just horrific the extreme weather events that are happening are happening where you are it's getting hotter where you are it's getting colder and weirder and hotter where we are we've had weird weather events here in in england and i know that they're taking place all over the planet and it's because the kind of the planet's out of whack and what we actually desperately need is the co2 sucked out of the atmosphere and trees are the key that's it. The more trees we can get in the ground, it's brilliant. But the people that can do the best job of that are the ones in Africa, particularly, as I say, in Kenya. We're just working in Kenya. But they are working in such hot conditions. And how can I expect them to go out and take care of these trees and put water on these trees, particularly when the human cost of gathering water is so huge? Believe me, I know. I tried carrying 20 litres of water on my head when I visited Kenya and the, the, the forests that we've been planting, I visited there in, in uh, February and March this year. It was horrifically difficult to do um, unless we're giving them education, unless we're supporting education and facilitating education. So the Magic Oxygen Literary Prize pays for a little bit of uh, a tree and a little bit of building material. So we've mm-hmm. been building classrooms, building schools and planting the forest and kind of doing the um, getting the kids to plant the forests around the schools, which gives them a bit of protection from the weather. And it just, it's teaching them. It's, it's giving them something to, to, to just say that actually people believe in you, you know, it's, it's such a hard thing to carry water like eight miles back to your home. This is what some of our women do. When I went over in February to see the forests that we've done and the classrooms we've built, I learned 
for myself with my own hands and my own eyes how hot it is over there and how difficult it is to collect water. Kenya's in drought. Africa's in drought. Kenya's been in drought for like five years. The maize crops have failed year on year. They're like in the fifth good solid year of drought in Coast Province. And this is horrific. You know, how can they be expected to go out two hours before dawn to collect water, to walk that water back on their heads, to dodge all of the snakes, like the venomous snakes that are over there. They can't even see you when you're carrying that. Have you ever carried one of those things on your head, 20 liters of water? Um, have you, not really. Have you ever no. had one? 20 liters. 20 liters. Believe me. Uh, on my head, no. Yeah, you can't but I do carried it. some buckets. <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's yes, so but, hard. I, but I, you know what? But I hear what. But I hear what you're saying. I, I hear what you're saying, and, and I'm, you know, I and I think it's great that we're having this conversation, Tracy, because mm. I feel like, you know, it's it's really important for people to understand. You know, sometimes, you know, we we just focus on the things that we have interest in, and we don't mm. really know what we don't really right, and so. When we hear, you know, talk, when, you know, this is one of probably the most misunderstood, you know, topics, you know, when yeah. people talk about climate change, especially in different yeah. parts. You know, some people don't really know what it's about. And some people don't know what they can do to sort of make the environment better or what they can do to help the situation. And some people yeah. are just not interested. And like you said at the beginning of this conversation is that you kind of have to sort of sell the idea in a way or make the conversation interesting. Um, so so right. really understand the benefits and the reasons for why for people why people like you do the amazing work you do you know having to build trees and I love yep. how this all came about with you having to set up a prize and while you were talking it started to make sense to me because I was like yeah wait wait how do they make money from but then it started to make sense yes and we know that you know so I'm I'm so grateful that you know you're here and I have a feeling we're going to have to do a part two because obviously <laughs> there's so much I wanted to ask you. And I feel like we're going to need two more, like, you know, we're going to need another show definitely to kind of like delve more into just, you know, the amazing um, work that you're doing. But let me ask you this, uh, Mm. Tracy, what would you say is the biggest misconception, right, or misinformation that people have about tree planting or the climate change? But just just before you answer this, look, let me just say this. I know that there's so many of you listening and people are dialed in. I see people, you know, I see someone dialed in. If you want to contribute to this conversation, maybe you want to ask Tracy a question or you want to say something, please don't forget that you can use your hand-raising effect. Make sure you press 1 so that we know that you're not just listening, but you actually want to speak. So if you want to speak, don't forget that you should press 1, and we'll definitely get you to connect into the show, and then you can, you know, maybe you have a question or you have a contribution or something or a comment or anything. Now, if you listen and you want to join the conversation, don't forget that you can call in live. The number to call is right there on top of your player. You can see the number, 323-642-1693. Don't forget to press 1. Three two three six four two one six nine three. If you're calling from outside the U.S., if you're calling from the U.S., dial as a local number. You can also call using your Skype button. There's a live Skype button right on top of the player, and you can call in for free using the Skype button. And of course, that will connect you into the show. Or you can tweet using hashtag The Naked Talk, and your tweets will be read on the show. So, because I see numbers, I so if you're if you don't press one, we'll think you're just listening and you don't want to say anything. And that's fine. So, Tracy, just back to the question that I had asked you. Mm. Um, what do you say is the biggest misconception or 
misinformation because you do this right. You are, you create, I mean, you're doing um, climate change awareness in Kenya, right? And you're mm. speaking everywhere, you know, just advocating about sustainable weaving and all of that. So, and when you converse and you have this conversation with people who have no clue or no idea or just what it, would you say is something that has come up time and time again as a common misconception or misinformation that people have? I think it's without a doubt the feeling that just an everyday person, an everyday Joe um, can make no difference. What the hell difference does this make to me? And it boils down to a simple fact of, do you know what? It would cost anybody listening £2.50 to plant a tree in Kenya and for me to I, that's oh so as a result of the literary prize that was the kind of the, the the shift that moved me on to starting as a charity um which I did just over one year ago so my charity is now uh, uh yeah I think a year and two weeks old and that's why it's called the word forest because the forests were created from the writing competition so that's the that's the kind of link of it really and so £2.50 buys a tree and some building materials. And that, within a tiny handful of years, will absorb literally a quarter of a ton of CO2. It will stop families from having to rely on, I kid you not with this one, child prostitution, which is a common occurrence, far too common occurrence for people by the coast, because there's, there's no crops growing anywhere. The maize isn't growing anymore. Nothing is growing anymore. The things that they can rely on are illegal charcoal production, which is horrific. And, of course, there's the, the logging ban is on at the moment, as you well know, I'm sure. Um, and child prostitution, because there's always a market for that, which is horrific. There has mm-hmm. to be changes that can be made, and there can be. And it starts with chucking a tree in the ground. The other thing that we do to give people uh, assurance that their stuff is making a difference is when people buy batches of trees, we actually give them the GPS coordinates of their trees. So we can give people a comfort and assurance that every single tree that we plant is guaranteed to grow. If it fails for any reason, if wildlife chops it down or munches it, we will replace it. So we are working really closely with the communities over in Bore um, in Coast Province. And, and that connection with them is, is just so important. We're not a massive charity. We're a tiny charity that are doing quite thorough uh, uh, works, you know, and that's the difference. You were saying about how do you connect people to the everyday thoughts of, oh, what can I do? You know, it's 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 all rubbish. Mm-hmm. Think about the cups of coffee that you go and buy over in England, in the UK, throughout the UK. The coffee chains are quite big here, so I don't know what they're like in Nigeria. I've never been, but I imagine it's much the same. You walk up and down the high streets, you can get a posh cup of coffee everywhere. Coffee is grown over in, in Kenya, and, ke- and that coffee yield from last year suffered greatly because of the drought. So the bottom line is, is if you start buying trees, you can actually help to keep the prices of those coffees down because, because it's in drought, it's become more, more uh, you know, it's a bit more of a rarity, so all the costs go up. And so the price of your cup of coffee in, in an English high street is going to go up because the yields have failed and it's been more difficult to come by the commodity of the coffee and so on and so forth. So you can kind of like drill it right down to a real basic thing. 
of your price of your coffee will keep nice and affordable if you plant trees over in Kenya. And and again, you know, I'm I'm not just focusing on Kenya. I'm saying across Africa, mm-hmm. across particularly anywhere mm-hmm. in that sub sub-Saharan zone, that tropical zone. It's massively important to do it. That's how people can make a difference. And it's about I think just sort of having that penny drop or encouraging them to, to have that penny drop, they huh? can make a difference. Everybody can make a difference. Going right back to recycling your, you know, toys in the bedroom, all of those things make a difference to our planet. And people, just everyday people, need to stop looking towards all of the governments for ideas and concepts because the best ones are coming out from grassroots campaigns and normal people people just like i'm just an everyday girl that that, you know has a lot to say that's an encouraging lot to say i hope and and i and i do recognize that i've got a bit of influence and positivity with it but actually i think the whole world needs a bit more positivity when it comes to 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 trying to mitigate the effects of climate change and i am certain that we haven't gone beyond the point where it's just all going to go, you know, we're going to go to hell in a handcart. We haven't. We've reached a point where things are, without a doubt, they are critical. And people like government, you know, people like Donald Trump and Theresa May over here just have so, they have just not got a handle on renewable, safe, renewable energy, which is the key to it all. Moving away from fossil fuels is what every government needs to do right now. Look at the governments like Sweden. Look at the places that are really embracing Denmark, that are embracing clean, safe ways of creating energy. That's what's needed. I feel that over in Kenya, the governments need to really get behind their people and give them financial support to help them to start good industries, sensible enterprises that are not burning charcoal, you know, and and, and in return, give them the money to get trees in the ground. This is how it's going to work. They are struggling so much in the heat and and they have to have access to water, clean, safe water to drink. And they need to get more trees in the ground. This is the this is the most important thing anybody can do. Believe that they can make a difference and buy some trees. Buy them with me and I will guarantee they will go in and they will make a difference. Amazing. Tracy, you know what? This has really been really, really um, a stimulating conversation, you know. <laughs> and I just, I feel so terrible that we just have about five minutes to wrap this up. Oh, my God. And, oh, you know, my this God. Is I'm telling you, we've been talking that long. Like, I didn't even have to go to commercial twice. Like, this is, <laughs> it's been that good. And, but, but, but here's the thing, you know, there's just so mm. much to take away. You know, we had, you shared so much about just, you know, what role we play. I mean, not all of us are going to be able to build trees, but we can support and help those who need to build trees. But there are other ways, like you said, just in the habits that we have, the things mm. we do in our home, the choices we make. And, you know, when you were talking about, when you were sharing to me about just, how you, you know, ended up meeting Simon and what your wedding yeah. was like and how mm-hmm. small it was. I was like, oh, my God, this is, a, this is a woman after my heart. And it's funny because, you know, people who probably know me and know me as an actress and know me from where I'm coming from would be like, wow, really? You really care that much about small wedding? I was saying, like, you know, the next time I'm going to get married again – it would be a yeah. small wedding. Like, I, I probably wouldn't even have, you know, it wouldn't be the African thing where they're spending so much money buying clothes and buying things. But it's funny, and I think that my mindset really comes from the place where um, 
you know, I there was a time that our family house got burnt and we lost everything. And I yeah. think that particular incident changed everything for me. And that has yeah. me looking at life so differently. You know, it's like, like, like you know, where they say all is vanity. And really, it's mm. all vanity. Because everything can go in one day, right? And not until you lose all your fancy clothes and your shoes and your awards and so many things that, you know, you find out that a lot of the other things you can always buy back, like, or you can get back. And you focus so much on property that you forget the other things that can really make you happy. So I'm really, really just... um really, 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 really excited that we are having this conversation. And, um, oh, by the way, there is a comment here. Someone says Tracy is amazing, mm. very engaging guest. <laughs> so, Tracy, you're, but you are very engaging. Like, I didn't have to go to commercial twice, like I said. Um, but it's been great just listening to you. And, again, if you know anyone who missed this conversation from the beginning, you guys need to come back and listen to the archive show all the way from the beginning because, Tracy, you really shared so much as to just what we can do in our own ways and just really how you've been able to find. And like you said, I think what is also appealing about this is that you don't have to be some kind of scientist, right? We don't no. have to be scientists. We don't have to, you know, no. We just have to be, we're regular people living our everyday life and seeing how our you everyday life actually affects the world the bigger picture and how we can contribute one way or another. And I think it's really awesome the work you're doing in Kenya, you know, just raising, especially with World Forest Organization, just trying to build those, you know, the forest and those trees and create shelter, you know, just some sort of covering for the children there and as well raise money. You know, I I think it's really amazing. Tracy, just before, (laughs) I know we have to wrap this up. We have about two minutes and we both of us are talkers and we can go on and on and on and on and on. But we definitely need to have a rendezvous for sure. And I'm going to be excited to create a, you know, just a round table where you can come in. But just final words, you know, where can people find mm. more about the work that you do? I mean, how can people find out more about, you know, Words Forest Organization and just connect with you? Well, we sell memberships to people internationally. People can join us as a member. It's not very expensive. We plant trees for memberships. We have things that we can sell. Obviously, it's easier here in the UK, but we can certainly support people that want to support our work across the planet. Um, Wordforest.org is the website. Um, I'm kind of getting a bit of a prolific Twitter uh, thing habit again I used to tweet I used to tweet I tweeted for years and um, I, uh, I've kind of just got back into it so I'm author Tracy so find me on Twitter author Tracy obviously word forest um, org is on Twitter as well the social media platforms kind of get some of the messages out there and I just try and keep my 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 positive voice running through all that I do I don't do doom and gloom girl there's enough doom and gloom out there <laughs> Do you know what? I, I have to tell you, you say you were the queen of expression. You so are. You've given such a ray of sunshine coming through this conversation, all the thousands of miles across to me. It has been a joy to talk to you. And to you're like the Oprah. You're the Oprah you are. You are. You've opened all of my doors. <laughs> we got to oh do it again. We've got to do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Tracy, let me tell you what, I know we have to get together again, and this has been absolutely amazing. I love having you. I can't wait for you to come back. This has been truly, 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 truly. Comments are coming in, but I know we don't have the time to take this. Oh, my God, we should do two hours, man. Sounds but good. You know what, Sounds Tracy, good. I love what you 
doing. And if you want to find out more about Tracy, just click on her name. It will take you straight to wordforest.org, and you can find out more. Make sure to get your membership. And look for the Book of Rubbish. I want to get the oh, Book of Rubbish. Oh, yeah, the Book of Rubbish. In fact, Book of Rubbish Ideas is out there free. Go find it. Thank you so much. I love you. And until we come back next, next time on The Naked Talk, ciao. Ciao. It's some scripture out. It's some filter out. It's some thoughts. Damn and censor. It's some scripture out. It's some filter out. It's some thoughts. Damn and censor. It's some scripture out. It's some filter. Talk with Alex Okorochi.